Oh, but who was number one this year? <laughs> well, this is a real honor for me to be here. Believe me, uh, three years ago, I didn't even know Montana Bible College existed. And uh, Tasha Ord used to go to the church that my wife and I went to in Kansas City when we lived there. And a mutual friend came out here to visit and said we all ought to get together. And Tasha and her family came down to Twin Bridges. And she said, you don't have a pastor. You need to meet Jim Carlson at Montana Bible College. And I reached out to Jim and the next week uh, came up to see him. And I can tell you, this school has been such a blessing to our church, and we truly appreciate it, as well as developing some uh, personal friendships for my wife and myself. When I agreed to do this, I immediately panicked afterwards, and I said, what am I going to say? First of all, there's probably at least one and maybe two generations difference, but more importantly, it would be ridiculous for me to think I'm going to stand up here and deliver to you some great biblical revelation that you haven't heard from the tremendous Bible teachers that you've got here. So uh, neither complaining nor bragging, I'm going to stand up here and tell you that I can look in the rearview mirror of life and looking around this group probably say there's a longer road behind me than most of you. And what I like to do is just share a life with you and just share what God has done in my life. So while I'm going to talk a lot about me, it's not about me. It's about Him. I was born into what you might call a lower middle class family in Buffalo, New York, big industrial town. Neither my father or mother had any education, didn't get out of the eighth grade. Uh, they endured World War I, the Great Depression, which ultimately caused my father to go in bankruptcy and never could get any credit. We could never own a house. My older sister and my parents would go days without ever eating during the Depression. And then along came World War II right after that. And at the conclusion of World War II, I was born into the family, the, the era of great prosperity. And, and we did enjoy that, uh, relatively speaking, to what my parents had endured prior Life was, was good. It was modest, but it was good for me. My parents loved me. They cared for me. But unfortunately, it was a spiritual desert. They professed to be Protestants, but beyond that, there was nothing else. So they'd talk about God. They'd occasionally reference Jesus. But the theology was mostly the man upstairs kind of talk. Never prayed, never read the Bible. They would get on a kick every once in a while and say, you need to go to church. Note it was me. I needed to go to church. So they would take me to church and drop me off. And after a couple of years of that, I'd occasionally go in. I got pretty shrewd and wise and thought, well, if it's no good for them, why should it be any better for me? So I would go in the front door, and as soon as they pulled away, I would go out the back door and go to a local ice cream parlor knowing when church was over, run back to church, go in, grab a bulletin, and run out the door and show them I had my ticket to heaven and, and, and give it to them. But there was nothing there. And my thought was, if they don't need it, why do I need it? And I guess for those of you that will be looking forward to raising children, there's a lesson there that as parents, more is caught than is taught. Because I was learning from them that, Church didn't mean anything, that 
God really didn't mean anything. In 1955, my dad got a promotion. We moved to uh, Columbus, Ohio. That's the Buckeyes. Went to junior high, high school. No spiritual life at all. Came time to go to college. There was no question I was going to go to college because of my parents' lack of an education. And there was no question about where I was going to go to college because I could stand on the back porch of our house and see the roofs of Ohio State and also... I, it was the only school I could afford because I was going to have to pay for it all. And I, I had to work my way through college. And then in my sophomore year, life really started to change. And I met a woman on a blind date, friend of a friend. And we dated for two years. And two years later, while I was still in college, we decided we were going to get married. But there was a problem. Because she came from a devout Catholic family. And for no theological reason other than she was Catholic, that was a real no-no with my parents. But I didn't care. I wanted to get married. I don't know how it is today, but we had to go and meet with the priest. And I had to sign a document that I would attend the Catholic Church and that we would raise our children in the Catholic faith, knowing all along I had no intentions of doing that. And so we got married. I know my parents were hurt, but they loved Linda. And some of you here know her. It's, it's hard to not love Linda. And then on our marriage day, I did something that was totally out of character for me. I was unsaved, but God was starting to work in me. We had no money. Couldn't take a traditional honeymoon. So we drove from uh, Columbus down to Cincinnati, Ohio, stayed at the Netherland Plaza Hotel. And after dinner, we went to the hotel. And I said to Linda, I want you to do something. I want you and I to pray for our marriage. I knew there was a God. I knew he had some kind of control over things. And so I'll just take a shot at this, and maybe this will save our, our marriage. And we got down on our knees, and quietly, because nobody... And my family had ever prayed out loud and never heard anybody other than a minister pray. So I didn't know what to say. But I do remember asking God to bless our marriage and help us to sustain it. And he was faithful. Scott and Sherry were there at our church in December when our church family graciously had a reception for Linda and I to uh, recognize uh, 50 years of being married. Yeah, that's what we said, too. <laughs> Six months later, graduated from college, came home with the diploma under my arm, the first person in my family to ever attend college, let alone graduate. What a big day. And there in the mailbox was a letter from the President of the United States offering me the job I couldn't refuse. And you didn't refuse. I went into the Army. And it was very obvious going in, I was going to go to Vietnam as a door gunner in a helicopter, and I'll save some of the details, but uh, the Lord spared me and sent me in another direction and wound up spending a lot of time as a drill instructor in a basic training unit, which was great leadership experience for me. Got out of the Army, and I got the job of my life. I was one of, like many of you here today, you have to admit it, big boys like little boy toys. And I love big, anything that blows black smoke makes a noise. I loved it. And I, <laughs> I, I got into the heavy-duty truck business, moved to Cleveland, Ohio, then got transferred to Memphis, Tennessee. 
And then God started to go to work on us. During all that time, the military, the end of college, no church. We, Linda stopped going to the Catholic church. We didn't do anything. Second day we were living in our house in Memphis, a lady next door came over and asked Linda if she'd like to go to a Bible study. Linda had no idea what she was talking about. The Catholic Church in those days, the uh, masses were done in all Latin, and she didn't know anything the priest was saying, never heard the gospel message. She said to the woman, what do you study in this Bible study? And the lady said, well, we're studying Romans. Linda said, I hate history. I didn't want to deal with those old Romans. But she said, that's how much she knew, and I was even dumber than her. Well, she went, and the first time she heard the gospel, she prayed to accept Jesus Christ as her Lord and Savior. Had never heard it before. She came home and she shared that with me. And it was at a time in my life when I was starting to experience, I thought because of my abilities, success in the business world. And I said, that's great, wonderful, glad you got something to do. See you tomorrow. This went on for several weeks, and I could see she was changing. What she was involved in, and many of you can relate to this, was one of the early classes of Bible study fellowship. Very disciplined, uh, tremendous amount of study, and she's a very disciplined person. And she started to grow in the Lord. After several months, she came home and said, they want me to be in leadership. I said, great, go for it. But I have to be a member of a church. I said, not with me. So she said, I'm not going by myself. So... She didn't go to church. This went on for months and months. She kept faithfully studying and faithfully growing, and I could see her life changing, and I was doing my thing in the world of business. One day I came home, and she said she had taken her son to swimming lessons, and that the young woman who was the swimming teacher said, where do you go to church? And she said, well, we don't have a church. And she said, well, why don't you come to our church? Linda said, well, thanks came home and told me about it. And I knew it was important to her. She wanted to get into this leadership position, and she couldn't if she wasn't a member of a church, and I was holding her back. And besides, I remember my parents' model that it was good for my son. I didn't need it, but it was good for my son to go to church. So I said, okay, we'll go. Well, it was a dynamic rapidly growing, non-denominational church. In fact, the building reminds me somewhat of this building. They had, ultimately, before we left there, it had 8,000 members. I was shocked by what I had heard. The pastor was one of these dynamic Southern Baptist-type preachers, and I was hearing things I had never heard in my life. The Bible wasn't written by a bunch of old guys with funny names. It was written by God. I didn't know that. That God knew everything, controlled everything. That God's standards for conduct were moral perfection. And one sin is like committing all the sins. This was just all foreign to me. Sinners were going to hell. I thought hell was just for the really, really bad guys. It wasn't for me. I, I wasn't doing that. Jesus Christ, oh, I knew he died and Something happened to him later on, and that's why we celebrate Easter. That was about the extent of my knowledge. But that he was coming back, I'd never heard that. And I remember the first time the pastor made reference to Jesus being God. I, I told my wife going home from church that day, I said, isn't that blasphemy? Jesus isn't God. Jesus is Jesus, and God is God. I, I never heard any of that stuff. It was a total biblical ignoramus. 
Linda encouraged me to get my own Bible, and she bought me one. And she encouraged me to start daily devotionals. And even as I am today, I'm a very early riser, and I would go to work at 4.30, 5 o'clock in the morning, read the Wall Street Journal, and do business stuff. Well, I had a Bible for the first time, and I thought, I'm going to start reading. Didn't know where to start. I, I like Proverbs. I remember hearing the pastor talk about verses in Proverbs, and I thought the guy who wrote that was pretty smart. So I wanted to be like him, whoever he was. I hadn't uh, gotten into who really wrote the Bible at that time. So I started reading Proverbs, and I got through it. And then Linda said, well, maybe you ought to get into the Gospels. Start with Matthew. So I read Matthew, and I got through it, and eh, I kind of understood it. And I got a little ways into Mark, and I was convinced that somebody was taking the book, bookmark out of my Bible and keep throwing it back every day because I, I read this before. I know I've read this story before. And the deeper I got into it, and then I got into Luke, and I was really confused because I know I read this two books back. And it wasn't until I got into John that finally the lights went on that, wait a minute, this is really important stuff. It's the same story told by four different people. And finally, at some point in time, and I, I don't know when it was, I prayed to accept the Lord Jesus Christ as my Savior. But I had a problem. This wasn't false teaching in my church. There was some sort of head trash that I was carrying around with me. And I thought that when I became a Christian, my life was going to be perfect. And that I was going to be perfect. And that there was going to be some great experience where I, I was going to hear angels come through my office in the morning and the Mormon Tabernacle Choir was going to sing and I was going to be transfigured. And I thought there was going to be this great experience and I was going to be a new person. And it wasn't happening. And so, I don't know how long this went on. Months. I'd pray, I'd read my Bible. No angels, no transfiguration. I'm not saved. One morning, I had uh, just completed my, my time with the Lord, and I had a visitor. There was a businessman that I'd had a relationship with, a very, very wealthy man that everybody knew was a devout Christian. And there's a couple of unusual things about him. Number one, he never, ever came to our place of business, which in that industry, it was very common for your customers to come to you. He never came there. And the other thing was, he was never up early in the morning. You just never saw him until late in the day. So I completed my prayer, and no angels, no transfiguration, and who's standing at the door but this businessman. And he walks in, and he sits down, shares with me his testimony with a a little track. And when he got all done, I said the stupidest thing I could have said. I said, Bill, I remember the, the discussion so clearly. I said, Bill, I have a lot of respect for people like you and my wife, but you don't understand. I'm not good enough to be a Christian. And he was a big man, and he leaned across my desk, and he pointed at me, and he said, no, Jim, you don't understand. You never will be good enough. And then he went on to explain to me that it was by the grace of God, it was the blood of Christ that saved me. It wasn't anything I was going to do and that I was still going to have tribulation and challenges in my life and there'd still be a sin, unfortunately. But he said something when he walked in the door that I'll never forget. I was shocked to see him there because he didn't come around. He said, I was just led. Why did that man come to my office at 5 o'clock in the morning? 
He never came to my office. How did he even know I'd be there at 5 o'clock in the morning? But he said, I was led. And I just knew it was of God to bring that guy to me. And all of a sudden, I had the blessed assurance that Jesus was mine. Well, with that, God very quickly took me from the shoulder of the highway and put me over into the express lane. Started teaching uh, fourth grade boys, Sunday school class. Those kids embarrassed me so many times and taught me things that I, I had no idea. What a great experience. I was asked to serve on the board of directors of a very large Christian school with some men, one of whom was one of the founders of Holiday Inns, and saw these men when there were big decisions to be made, to pull their chairs away from the table and get down on their knees and pray. I didn't know that you prayed about business decisions. I had no idea you would do that. Saw the Lord work in, in just tremendous ways. We had a house that we had built. We wanted to sell it. I had a business opportunity. We could move out of town. We couldn't sell the house. Just absolutely couldn't get rid of it. And this opportunity was going to go away soon. A family in our church came forward and said, we want to buy your house. I said, no, you don't want to buy our house. There's a problem. They said, oh, we know all about the house. So we can take care of it. We know the problems are. What do you want for it? I told them, they said, fine, we'll take it, and the house was sold. As Paul Harvey used to say, now the rest of the story, what I didn't know is that my wife and son for two years have been claiming uh, Psalm 121, I will look unto the hills from whence cometh my help. Here's the punchline. The name of the family that bought the house was the hills. (laughs) When God wants something to happen, it'll happen. And I, I... I just learned so much there. I learned so much in giving about the Lord. The money's the Lord's. And I was one of these people that every Sunday I'd begrudgingly take a dollar bill out of my wallet and put it in the plate. And the Lord taught me many, many lessons. So we moved to Kansas City thinking it was a great business opportunity when in reality we were going there to get involved in the church, the church the Lord's went to with us. And we were in the same church for... 25 years, and most of that time I, I had the blessings of serving as an elder and, and uh, learning and growing. When you're an elder in a church in a big city, I won't say you see everything, but you see a whole lot of stuff, and we learned a lot. And my wife had uh, the blessings of being involved in a lot of women's ministries. But you know, as I think about my life, there were three big decisions that we made. One of them was obviously to accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, selecting my wife. But the third one really blindsided us. In 2008, we had experienced some tremendous success in the business world, just sold a business that was a sort of a changing game changer for us. Our church was just doing great. We just moved into a totally remodeled facility, and, and everything was ex- God was just blessing us. Our son brought us our first granddaughter. Life was great. We had an intern pastor in the church, and he took a church in Twin Bridges, Montana. And Linda and I decided to go out and visit him. So we came out here, and I always loved small towns. In fact, I always wanted to live in a small town. I loved the lifestyle, and I wanted to get involved in a church and be involved in the business community and make a difference. And my wife was very clear. No small towns. In fact, her expression was, no small towns. (laughs) We're not going to have anything to do with small towns. Okay, we'll go visit. We come out here. 
we attend church, and afterwards, and some of you know Neil Barnosky, he's one of third-generation cattle rancher down there. He and his wife invited us out to the ranch, and sitting there in the living room, the snow-covered mountains in the background, and the uh, cattle are out there in the valley, and Neil's wife, Gloria, who'd only known my wife for just a couple of hours, looked at Linda and said, Linda, could you live out here? And I thought, boy, there's a bomb that's going through the floor. And I'll never forget the expression on her face. She looked at me with such peace, and she said, yes, I could live out here. Well, on the way to the airport that night, I said, where did that come from? And she said, I just sense God is calling us to come out here. We prayed about it for days, for weeks. All the reasons why we shouldn't do this. 25 years in the same house, the same church. I still had several businesses in Kansas City. Our son and his family and grandchildren. This is crazy. And we just had peace about it. I went and told our son what we were going to do. He knows in, in the business world, when you go into a business, you always say, how am I going to get out of it? It's your exit strategy. So he asked me, he said, what's your exit strategy for Montana? I said, you're going to bury us out there. That's our exit. I, my business partners and the pastor at our church, you're doing what? At your age? I was 68 years old, and you're going to pack up and leave all this and go to Montana? Because we had total peace about it. I'll conclude my verbal drool here with just just a little bit. I was for a long time embarrassed by my testimony. I mean, I wasn't saved from alcohol addiction or drugs, and I wasn't in prison and terminal illness. It just was kind of vanilla. It just didn't seem like anything. And one night at church, there was a man who had somewhat of a similar background as mine, and he shared his testimony, and he concluded by saying, I'm a miracle. And all of a sudden, it struck me. Here's the kid who ran out the back door of churches. Here, I'm standing in front of students in a Bible college. Two months ago, I did, conducted my sister's funeral, and I'm the guy that ran out of the church. I'm a miracle. Because God changed my heart. But God also used people. And I would just leave you with a couple of thoughts and a couple of questions for you. Is there somebody that you could invite to church? Like that woman did my wife? Like the young girl swim teacher? Is there somebody that God is tugging at your heart to go see? Why did that man come to my office at 5 o'clock in the morning? Because the Holy Spirit was telling him, there's a dumb guy over there that needs help. He needs straightening out. Are there questions you're wrestling with about how's God going to provide? Where am I headed in life? Maybe you're getting like me towards the other end of life and saying, where am I going? Wondering as you look down the highway. But God is never done with you. He's never done with you. And we're a good example of that. I love that proverb that it says men plan their ways, but God guides their footsteps. So as you're sitting there with your hands on that wheel of life, just remember, he's paving the road. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the blessings of knowing you. 
the God of all creation. You created the universe. You created everything. And yet you know us. And you know our comings and our goings. You knew us, as you told Jeremiah, before we were in our mother's wombs. And so we're important to you, Lord. Our lives are important to you. And I pray for everyone here this morning, including myself, be they uh, faculty or uh, students, whatever the roles, Lord, that we would be turning our footsteps over to you and realizing that no matter how old we are in life, where we are in life, you have a plan for us. We pray, Lord, your blessings upon everyone here and upon this institution that it will continue to bring honor and glory to you. And we pray all these things now in the precious and powerful name of Jesus Christ. Amen.